Come on and join me on the B-side With movie stars that weren't in their prime Made other movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of The B-Side for the Film Stage. Here, as you know, we talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. Sometimes, however, we talk about directors, and, and sometimes, sometimes we get lucky. We I was going to say. Sometimes we talk we, to, to we those talk directors. To yeah, exactly. And that's cool. So, so this is a cool one. Yeah. Um, very excited. I feel that like this we were... one has kind of been on our, like... Mount Rushmore, so to speak, or our, you know, our hit list, sure. or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah, I mean, so Carl Franklin uh, is our guest today. Um, you'll hear him in just a second. And he spoke with us kind of on the occasion of his really his first proper film. He had made a couple of Roger Corman produced smaller movies before this, but on the uh, very celebrated release of his film, One False Move. Um, on Criterion, beautiful Criterion, Blu-ray, what have you, case, beautiful cover, beautiful um, essay, booklet essay by William Boyle. It's just generally a great release. It's a good, a very yeah. good release, and, and and a good release as part of a batch of very good of very good releases as yeah. well. Which you can, if you read the film stage, we cover that, and um, there's plenty amazing other good films that are kind of out now and on Criterion and, you know, on the streaming platform, but also just, you can buy them. Um, the hard copies, which with each passing day seems more essential. We'll just um, say physical media folks. In, yeah, invest it just in seems it. more, uh, <laughs> while you can, yeah. you know, libraries of course, and, and, and on those elements. But, um, yeah. So to talk with Franklin, we obviously talked with him about One False Move, and we kind of we talked about everything, as you'll hear. The only movie we don't really get into is High Crimes. I don't High Crimes. I don't think you'd call a B side. So I think no, we kind no. of we weren't really planning to talk with him about that. Um, it does get mentioned, but very briefly. And then we talk primarily about One False Move, One True Thing. And bless me, Ultima, with a nice little detour into the world of Out of Time. Certainly not a B-side. His second film with Denzel Washington, but but a movie that me and you, Connor, we both really like yeah. and love. And certainly doesn't have, we make mention of this, it doesn't have the reputation that Devil in a Blue Dress and One False Move now have. And I, and I think... I think yeah, that's coming, though. Like, I don't well, know. I think I, I don't think, know. I don't know. I, I know, I, I, let's I, hope so. Look, let's I, hope I so. know it has Dean Cain in it, you know, but like, <laughs> but I guess I'm just saying that like, and I and, love it. I mean, it's my, so, and I know this might be, you know, sacrilege. <laughs> I'm waiting for to you those, to say what you're going to say. <laughs> but it's certainly my favorite Carl Franklin. Interesting. Okay. But I mean, that's Not just mine, me. But I do like it I'm a just, lot. But this yeah. is, look, this is just me keeping yeah. it real. That's but it. I'm keeping it. Real, like, like young Danny. Young Danny had an out of time poster on his bedroom well, wall, kind of thing. Oh, I you know, freaking like, wish yeah. I did. No, but I mean, I I'm just I'm like Cuba Gooding Jr.'s brother in Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real, sure, because I'd be a liar. I'm just telling you, I've watched Out of Time a million times. I think it's an entertaining as heck. I think you know, with jokes aside, I think Dean Kane's great in it which is insane it's, he's like I mean, a it's perfect douchebag it, it is as uh not to like not to spoil know. this other movie but it, it will we'll just say <laughs> it is as well cast as jim caviezel is in, in high, cramps. high cramps similar yeah, true kind of and, thing. and it's actually funny if we had more time so anyway we, we <laughs> don't want to waste too much time there, but we'll go, but, okay. but point is Carl Franklin, super generous with his time, yeah. very open, told a lot of really cool kind of interesting stories, a lot of um, kind of a lot of interesting feelings about One True Thing, which was nice because that's actually a movie that I really don't think, unfortunately, yeah. people really don't talk about that much anymore. I think it got, I think I mentioned this at some point, it really, I think, got gets like vacuumed up into that like 
Oh, the late 90s movies post Bridges of Madison County well, that I, Meryl Streep was nominated for, you know, like feels, music from the heart. And, you know. it, it feels very B-side-y in the sense of if you were to put a mood board of Carl Franklin films up, you know, this would be the one that, you know, in a blind, you wouldn't guess. In a blind you'd taste be like, test, you'd be like, whoa, yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Well, and, and funny so, enough, music music from the heart, music of the heart, well, that the Wes Craven film, right. equally that. Right. Yes. You'd be like, similar, wait, Wes Craven directed yeah. a, a school drama starring yes. Meryl Streep. Similar, and it's like, yeah. similar vibes. Um, so certainly, and I believe those are literally 98, if you like, So it's like, if you yeah. like industry budget talk, you get a little above the line, oh, below the line that. conversations. Love my favorite um, part. Yeah, agreed. As, of agreed. course. I mean, of so, course. So, um, yeah, we, he just, we, he had a good, generous amount of time with us. We were super grateful to get it. And, um, and he, I think he was was good enough to to cover a lot of ground with us. Yeah. So please enjoy this episode with the one and only Carl Franklin. Carl Franklin, thank you for being with us on the B side. Um, I wanted just to uh, upfront the goals for us today. If if you're and you can tell us if you're okay with this, is to celebrate one false move, of course, now in Criterion. Convince listeners that your sun soaked neo-noir out of time deserves to be in the same kind of conversation now as one false move and devil in a blue dress i feel like they there's been a lot of you know respect going around and i feel like out, out of time is as deserving as those other two not you know it was i think it was well regarded at the time but let's feel like we need to get the talk up for that and then uh also spend some time talking about stuff like laurel avenue one true thing and bless me ultima if we can fit it all in so let me know if all that sounds good to you good sir we'll try it sure <laughs> we'll try we'll try so one false move you've talked a lot about it obviously it's kind of one of these great stories where you know um you have this script uh from from billy bob thornton and tom epperson and then it's going to go to video. They don't want Bill Paxton to be the lead. All of these things kind of well, well-known things now, but I guess just, um, it's been reappraised and it's loved and as it should be. Can you tell me if you, I mean, it's been a long time. I know what was the hardest day on set, hardest scene to shoot. Do you remember like, what was the hardest location, anything in that realm? Do you remember what that was? Um, well, the one of the hardest things was when we just shooting the opening scenes. Mm. I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to do that, and it came to me that morning. Um, so in terms artistically, that was tough. But when we were shooting the driving scenes, which we shot out in the desert in California, it was like 16 degrees or something like that, man. <laughs> and that was like, you know... <laughs> that was tough <laughs> yeah yeah that, that that's always tough i know you mentioned in the commentary i was like trying to we should say the criterion disc in the packet it's beautiful the william boyle yeah. essay is amazing and um you know you have you and billy bob have a have a nice talk in there and then you your commentary from 1999 and you mentioned i think that janusz kaminski shot some of that driving right was that yeah yeah which Janusz. is so funny to yeah 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 <laughs> that's just funny to you know to how far we've all he's come we, everybody i mean i think you mentioned this i think to billy bob in that interview one of the coolest things about one false move among many of them is like that's your kind of you had done a couple obviously corman pictures but this is that kind of your first real you know directing gig as it were you're doing your thing billy bob this is kind of his big moment he's in the movie um, he had sold a couple of scripts beforehand, but it's a coming out party. It's like Bill Paxton's first lead role. A lot of kind of big moments for a lot of people in that film. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a springboard. We and we we um, we didn't know that that was going to be the case because you know the movie surprised us all the way around. I mean, just being able to make it, and then uh, you know we didn't have any support. It looked like we were going to just go straight to video, and you know it was going to be forgotten, and then. Uh, Jesse Beaton, uh, she talked to Ann Thompson and got it to her, got it to John Hartle, and that's who, you know, uh, was a critic in Seattle. 
got it to Roger Ebert. I got Sheila Benson who got it to Roger Ebert. And so because we it would we have those strong responses in those film festivals, um, she talked them into giving it a three-city release in Los right. Angeles, Chicago, and Seattle, uh, saying that if you gave it a release, you'd be able to put those quotes from those uh, those reviews on your boxes and sell more units. And so they gave it a three-city release, and then it, it caught fire. So it was like... Uh, the movie itself, you know, was was kind of like it was. <laughs> it had the same kind of experience that we all had in That's terms of it, yeah. In terms of it being the thing that kind of uh, gave us an opportunity, you know, to 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 do more in this business. Do you? And, so it's funny because you know, and this is also you know, for for those who don't know, you were an actor for a long time before before One False Move and and before the working with Corman and these things. Um, I actually watched uh, your episode of The Rockford Files a couple of nights ago, and I was like, no. I was loving it because I love that show. I'm, I love The Rockford Files anyway, so I have all of the I have all of the episodes, and I was like, Carl Carl Franken's in one of these episodes. I found it. It's like, it's a crazy like. Uh, there's like a schizophrenia like plot in it like the murderers like two people it's very like very funny um anyway <laughs> you don't remember that very random episode from the, oh. you know. uh, no but so what i was curious about though watching some of your acting and 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 whatnot what do you do you remember was there a moment when you got the directing bug where you thought like i'd love to be on the other side of this camera or was it always there for you or no, in fact, I uh, I was just to mention that that you know I, I saw a psychic man in '76 who told me that I was gonna start direct. I was gonna be a director and whatever. And I thought, nah, she's just telling me what she thinks I want to hear. I don't want to be a director. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. And really, what happened was I I was trying to promote my acting career and wrote a script, um, and kind of co-wrote a script with a, a director. He was going to direct it. I was going to be the lead in it. And uh, I ended up losing a lot of money on that. And he kind of bugged out on me. And so um, I still had the bug. So then I, you know, enrolled at the American Film Institute, who was lucky enough to get in. And so that's where I made the transition. That's interesting. Wow. So, so, so the bug came from I'd like to showcase myself as an actor. Let me yeah. like take my career into my own hands. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and then obviously you made Punk, right? Which, well, which... Punk was what? Yeah, at the American Film Institute, right? Yeah, and met yeah. Doc there, right? God, and then and then Cheadle, obviously, a decade later, is is kind of breaking out, and you know, certainly not a B side, God knows, but breaking out in, in Devil in a Blue Dress in that incredible role. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, because I know Billy Bob in that in the when you guys chatted mentioned punk was the thing, and I feel like you've mentioned this. Punk was really the thing, you know. You made was it Full Fathom Five, um, you yeah, he's know. Gonna name him. He's gonna in, name him. He's gonna name him. I did. Can I tell you? I saw. I found a great um, <laughs> like I found a great like a trailer that for like blockbusters for Full Fathom Five. That, like oh. somewhere online where it the whole thing is like people love sub movies because that in the <laughs> 80s it was like das boot and you know humphrey october's right there and it's a very like like hey you should buy full fathom five because i just I thought that was great Do you um, know we know we know we how much money we had to make that movie please tell me two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and actually we only had 120 thousand because allegedly the <laughs> producer uh, who was partnered with Roger in Peru stole eighty thousand dollars. Oh Holy my God! Well, I was gonna <laughs> allegedly, but at any rate, so we had about one hundred twenty grand, man. And and the effects in that movie are like something out of a Saturday morning. Uh, so <laughs> they really, you know. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you because I, I definitely want to, I want to get to one true thing because it's such an interesting part of your career. But 
what was there one thing you took from working on those the Corman film? Like, was as a director, you had made a short that had gotten some attention. You haven't made one false move yet. Was there one big lesson from those two pictures that you remember that you took away from just as a director, a creative person? Well, I would say there were two. There was actually how to think on my feet and also how to work with people who were not experienced as actors. Mm. Um, because we only had uh, uh, four experienced actors, one of whom was Todd Field, but at any rate. <laughs> oh man, he was he was only uh he was in a that's funny Todd Field. He, he was in two of my movies with Corman, man. I risked his life twice. <laughs> so, we were we were we were in the Philippines where there was a kind of an active revolution going on and we were down in Peru when Sendero Luminoso was active. So, you know, wow. He, uh, we we went through the wars literally twice. Who would all of the good movies that would not exist if you guys had <laughs> had had uh, had been a little bit even more dangerous? Um, all right, so those are great notes, though. I think that's so. I mean, of course, right? Of course, that would be yeah. Thinking on your feet. I mean, and then yeah, working with actors. Um, and I think that I mean, uh, you know, not to jump ahead, but bless me, Ultima. I think is a great. You know, you have a a young actor as a, as a lead. I think that's in. I imagine an incredible challenge and, and something I'm curious about, but so, okay. So you make one false move. Um, it has good notices, right? It does get a theatrical. It, it ultimately leads you to devil in a blue dress, which of course is based on the Walter Mosley book. There's many of them. Um, and you have Denzel playing easy Rawlings. And I think it's well regarded even at the time, but doesn't maybe, it doesn't, doesn't bring in the receipts that hope that I think everybody had hoped for, right? And I think, you know, there was a hope for more easy movies and all this, and maybe that doesn't happen. And then ultimately, a couple of years later, you adapt the Anna Quinlan book, One True Thing. And I think what me and Connor were kind of laughing about, and I don't know if I'm sure you have some thoughts about this, is so you make a couple of, you know, noir and noir adjacent movies. And then in One True Thing, you kind of have you almost do a noir framework with Renee Zellweger's character in the police station, which is like half is in, the, it's like half in the book, right? The book kind of has that at the beginning, not quite as, but I wonder like, how did you come to that kind of framework for one true thing where you have this, it's a little bit of a mystery, right? That kind of drives through some of the narrative there. You know, because it was something that did exist in the book and because we wanted to it was important actually to kind of also see that other side of uh, the character, of Renee's character. Right. You know, it, it, it was a convention I suppose we could have done without it. Um, I love for, I love it, by the way. I think it like really... No, it adds. Yeah, it adds. It, it's, it's a value add to the movie for sure. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it really was just to kind of frame it with, within... Um, you know, I mean, it, it gave it just a little bit of of, of another uh, kind of energy, mm -hmm. I could say. In a lot of ways, it's hard for me at this point to, because it was more a visceral decision, you know, sure. in, in in the book, and um, uh, and and it was, you know, the script was 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 uh, Karen's script was so well done that uh, we kind of just kind of left it the way it was. <laughs> that was one of those scripts I didn't do a lot of changes on. So that motif, was that motif as scripted? Uh, obviously, like Dan said, it's not as present in the book, but was it's that- It's there, it's just that, not- Was as, that in the script, mystery, yeah. the way it wound up in the film? As I recall, it was, yes. Mm. It's been a long time since I've read that script, but as I recall, it was. Mm. Nice. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, I mean, you know, it's a very- you know, we won't go through a whole synopsis, but essentially, you know, Anna Quinlan wrote this book. It's based on her relationship with her own mother in real life, who got sick at too, obviously far too young of an age. And it's this interesting, I mean, look, it's an actor showcase, right? In which you have these, I mean, really have these four great, I mean, four kind of great principal actors. You have Meryl Streep, uh, Renee Zellweger, uh, William Hurt, and Tom Everett Scott, kind of as the core family. And um, th and um, you have this interesting dynamic where the daughter, you know, ostensibly the lead, Renee Zellweger's character, has always kind of, you know, you preferred the father. That's maybe not a kind word, but kind of 
you know, felt akin to the father, William Hurt's character, and disregarded the mother. And it's kind of in this very heightened dramatic stakes of the mother having, you know, cancer and whatnot, kind of seeing a different side of, of her own mother. And I think it's incredibly, yeah, it's an incredibly relatable story just on its face. And I think it would make sense that you, in that particular way, you're not almost wanting to get, I mean, as an actor yourself, I imagine you're kind of not wanting to get in the way of a lot of that, right? Like, because it's, it's so visceral. It is. I mean, and the motivations for all of us who were involved in that film, you know, had to do with, God, I think it may have been the last time that a movie was made where uh, the financial consideration was just not really something. Right. Uh, everybody had had a relative who had, you know, had been hit by cancer. My mother had passed from it. My uh, father, too. Um, the um, everybody had, you yeah. know, had, and then my wife, who actually had brought the the, the book to me earlier, um, had kind of, because you know, it's really kind of more of a. There is this thing that we do about women who um, are housewives, you know, where there was just kind of not much regard for what they do. I mean, my wife talked about how her father was, you know, much more, you know, uh, he was the life of the party. He was the guy, the breadwinner. He was, you know, uh, and her mom, you know, who was, was, uh, had, had, you know, had four children when they would go on vacation, they would go, you know, like camping and have right. a cap. And she would still have to cook three meals. Mm. Right. So literally, she was not on vacation. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, she was just in another place without as good a kitchen. Right. <laughs> you know, and so it was like that was the thing that um, that you know that we kind of just don't really appreciate those women who um, weren't professionals. And who basically, you know, were the 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 foundations of the family, you know. And, and I, it's a, it's a it's a t it's a kind of a um, controversial subject to get into because a lot of people would look at that, and there were some folks who thought, oh, we're trying to get women back in the kitchen again, mm. you know. It wasn't sure, that at all? Yeah. And so much as it was an homage to women who had, you know, to this these women all those years in the past who have basically been, you know, the, just sacrificed their lives for their families and were never uh, fully appreciated for it. It, it, com it comes through really well in the film in a couple different ways, specifically, you know, there's maybe an assumption that the, that the move, you know, the movie is hoping the audience will make is that, you know, it's somebody like Meryl Streep is relatively uncomplicated. Right. Um, and yet, one of the more beautiful moments of the movie is uh, as Renee Zellweger's character sort of begins to suspect and then maybe kind of know more concretely that William Hurt has been kind of having these affairs on the side and things like that uh, for for probably longer than she'd like to admit. You know, it becomes this thing of like, oh, how do I tell my mother and whatever? And it, and it reveals itself where Beryl has a much more complicated response and answer to to that revelation, right? She kind of is totally. just like, "Oh, you, you don't think I didn't know?" Like, yeah, I know. Like that, that like. Well, the, she has the great line. She's like, "There's nothing about your father that you know that I don't know, right?" Yeah. Or something. It's basically yeah. that. And, and it's, it's a great, it's a great moment. Yeah, I, no, I think it's, it's a, a beautiful representation of part of what you're talking about, Carl. Because I do think it's this thing of you know we we think about people in that position and assume that they're their goings on are relatively mundane or, or uncomplicated or, or maybe uh, sort of devoid of any kind of nuance or anything like that. And, and it's this kind of beautiful thing that, that really kind of brings that complication uh, sort of to a point. And I, I was also curious about the movie, the tone of the movie. And I think the structure of it helps this is it, it really avoids being some kind of 
overly kind of saccharine, like cancer weepy, you know, as, as that some of those, yeah. it's kind of, it's almost, you know, you could consider that almost its own subgenre to a degree. And I think there's a matter of fact nature to one true thing, um, particularly with the way Merrill handles the character that it, it never gets overly emotional, except in, you know, fits and spurts where it feels appropriate and necessary. And I was just curious to know, like, what was that process like with her talking through that and talking through kind of her relatively like even handed and unemotional depiction of the character? Um, let me just say one thing, though, before I get into that, mm -hmm. please, that, you know, he it wasn't because he had had affairs probably early on. Mm -hmm. Sure. But the thing was that he wasn't having affairs anymore. He was just right. He's uh, at the bar avoiding yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Avoiding it. Yeah. I who was basically at the bar, which is what the mother knew also. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> that he was this guy who basically was putting on this front of being you know, this successful, very smart, you know, um, and he was, you know, a writer who just, he, he you know, he, he wasn't a writer. Right. And, and she, she knew that that was his big secret that she yeah. knew it was even more for him, probably more of an exposure than if he was having affairs. Sure. Hmm. He was basically failed at the thing that he wanted to succeed at. But at any rate, um, in regards to Meryl, you know, she, Meryl is so thorough in what she does. I mean, it's like, you know, she was very conscious. And I, at the same time, I don't like to play into emotions as, you know, I, I, I we even took a chance when we sang Silent Night at the, um, you know, around the Christmas tree, you sure. know, uh, Meryl was concerned about the whole song. And I said, no, we got to do that. That was the one place where I felt that, you know, we needed that time to see the reaction of her family. Um, but we both, you know, I, she was someone who is came ready and, 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 you know, I never want to see a character feel sorry for themselves. Mm. Uh, and that's one of the things that oftentimes will happen when you have a, 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 a sad subject matter mm -hmm. is that actors will play the result sometimes and they rob the audience of the opportunity to get invested as much because they're taking up all the room themselves mm, totally um it's much more in my opinion heartbreaking when you see someone who is up against um incredible to opposite to 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 impossible odds to see them stand up and and try to to face it as opposed to giving in to it yeah. and, and and responding emotionally, uh, physically in a way that you can see. I mean, it's much stronger if you watch a character trying to hold it together. And so that's what, you know, she, that's a principle she was following and the principle I was following too. Yeah, uh, it shines through. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to, before we got too far away from it, I do want to just mention and take just two minutes on Laurel Avenue, just because it's it was I feel like an important moment in your career, right? HBO miniseries '93, right? Right after yeah, One False Move. Yeah, we shot it in '92. Yeah, yeah, kind of a great. I was able to catch up with it. Um, uh, it's not amazingly easy to find, unfortunately, and hopefully that can change. But it's. It's basically the saga of an African-American family in Minnesota um, and over basically a weekend, right? And it's, um, I really liked it. It's one of these things where it's like, I feel like there was a moment in the 90s, you have stuff like Down in the Delta a couple of years later, um, you have, you know, to a different degree, How to Make an American Quilt has a little bit of that too, which is like 95. You were having these stories get a little bit more of a moment, I suppose, but I feel like Laurel Avenue precedes a lot of that. And I just, if you can just give us just, uh, just, just so we pay attention to it, because I think it's worth it, just two minutes on kind of making that and just any, any, I guess, positive memories from, from putting that together. Well, it's interesting because originally it was a, it was a compilation. It was like six small scripts. Okay. Mm. Uh, that we, you know, brought together and made it into two um, 
I think two to one and a half hour. Um, right. I think it's what it, it ended up being. Yeah, it's like three hours. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but it was the first time. Um, it was when HBO really was um, in the forefront of experimentation. Mm. You know, you notice there were no stars in that movie. In, in that there were no, and in fact, probably only maybe one or two recognizable faces. Right, Mary Alice, maybe, right? There's a couple, you know, yeah. but yeah, yeah. For the most part, you know, these were people who were, you know, on film, some of them for the very first time. Uh, they were mainly stage actors, a lot of them. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it was... <laughs> I, I love that kind of material because it basically was not relying on the usual kind of a structural thing. I mean, it was not, no one, you know, there wasn't a murder and then, you know, who's solving the, the crime or it wasn't uh, right based on any kind of, you know, like a, a major divorce or something. You know, there it was just the life. It was just a slice of life of this working class family over the course of a weekend uh, yeah. when... Things on the one hand, the one daughter, which is what kicks it off in some ways, she's going to be uh, promoted to sergeant, the first black right. female sergeant in uh, the St. Paul um, Police Department. And that actually was happening at the time. Oh, okay. And the other sister, the twin sister, they were fraternal twins, uh, who is fighting drug addiction and right. who is relapsing. Uh, because of certain things that, that that came together, and all of that, that because of the planned reunion, um, that was where the fireworks were gonna, you know, um, that yeah. that was kind of where everything was gonna combust. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, something something that, and a lot of people I think could relate to that because usually our our extended families have that kind of complexity. You know, there generally is someone who needs a lot more help in that family than everybody else. And that person oftentimes occupies a lot of the attention, draws a lot of the energy yeah. from one else because they need it, unfortunately. You know, it's funny just for our listeners, you know, I didn't even think about this, but now as you're talking about it, you know, a good comp and, a, and I think a very high compliment is kind of it's it's in the world of, of a Mike Lee film, right? It's very much like... You know, yeah. there's no driving genre element, like you're saying, but it's right. these lives and it like they may be, quote unquote, small lives, but they're not, you know, uneventful lives. All the basketball stuff I thought I loved. I'm a huge basketball fan and just all of the, you know, the politics and the, you know, that the racial elements that are there with it just so like so um, well observed. Right. Like there's nothing there's no punches you know pulled or and i just think that's the stuff when you have the time and you know obviously hbo you know you know it's awesome they, they you know are able to kind of you know get it made and 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 get it out there so i would encourage people to try to find it just because i think it's 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 when we talk about b-sides like that's something yeah. where it's like wow that's really that's some great work you know in between a couple bigger moments and so definitely a recommendation there um you know, we actually we actually uh, almost did um, Laurel Avenue we, about four years ago. We were trying to do Laurel Avenue 25 years later. What? Ooh. Wow. Yeah, with the same cast. Ugh. Uh, I, for whatever reason, the, our writer did not uh, deliver. You know, Michael oh, Henry no. wrote the first a version he passed, you know, and so he uh, was not yeah. this version. Right. And the writer, I think, has something else was more important to them. But at any rate, uh, well, let's, well, maybe like Laurel, Laurel, 30 Avenue years 30. later, maybe, you know, yeah. yeah, we can, we can hope. Some of those people, Mary Alice's past, you know, uh, true. gone. So the grandfather's gone. They're, uh, it's tough. Those main folks, you know, aren't around anymore. That's true. Mary Alice, God, she's good. Uh, she was good. Yeah. Um, so, I so this isn't really a B side, but I I love it too much. We got to just talk about it for five minutes. Out of time. Uh, 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 Second time working with Denzel. Obviously, the a very A side. So let's just say that as the let's just admit we're going to cheat yeah, here. We're cheating talk about here. It for, yeah. It's okay. Um, 
I just a movie I've always loved. Like I feel like it's funny because I I I love I love all your work. I this must have been the movie because Connor, we always on our uh, Carl when we do our show when it's just us or a guest or something, we'll we'll kind of talk about. Oh, when was the first time you? Oh, Carl Franklin. This is. I, watch I think this has got to be the first thing. This of has yours to that be it for, for, sure. for both of yeah. us because I remember being so excited for it. You know, Denzel had just won the Oscar. He's having another moment. Obviously, he'd been huge forever, but it's like, you know, for people our age, it was kind of that was a you know the hurricane had come out a few years before, mm. Mm. and so this was so different. I remember like just being so happy that it was so different because he's like it's a sexy role he had done it before like you know mississippi masala the mighty quinn okay yeah but that's a long time ago i didn't know those movies back then and this is like out of t you know he's you know sheriff of a like a podunk keys town ava mendes and alathan it's like you know very kind of sexy sweaty movie funny like um and I just think what I love, I guess, let and I'll let. What I love is you've made these three kind of like I said, noir adjacent pictures, and they're all so different from each other, right? Like, and I just think that's so incredible, right? So and so I guess what it with out of time, how does that come together? I suppose, and I guess, you know, um, um, I imagine it wasn't cold, probably more hot, not not like <laughs> driving at night, but probably <laughs> too hot, maybe. <laughs> Oh man, it was Miami and uh, and Florida, so it was burning <laughs> up, dude. I mean, yeah, and the other thing too was like, so we were shooting some of the time, as I recall, we shot some of it, I think, in the summer. Wow, did she list some? I think we did. I think there was a you did an interview with Denzel a few years ago. I think you guys talk about that that it was like a there's some summer stuff because it was tough to shoot. There's yeah. some summer stuff, and there's the the thing about Florida in the summer is one, it's really wet. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of rain. It rains every day. Yep. A lot of electrical storms. And so yep. we were getting shut down a lot because we couldn't put up our condors and a lot of it was at night. So we needed the, you know, the condors up, you know, for lighting and sure. stop because of that, you know. And remember we shot down in Holmes, I think it's Homestead, Florida for a minute and on that uh, riverboat. And there were crocs all around the boat at night when the light, you could see all Damn. the little eyes, you know, at night. But then when the light, it was like looking in an aquarium. There were tons of <laughs> That's boats. scary. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, it was, it was strange too, because, you know, um, I'd worked with Denzel before on, uh, on one fall, excuse me, on uh, Devil in a Blue Dress. And I think we had like 23 million, 22 million to make that movie. Sure. And I had 15 million below the line, mm. you know, once reason everything were paid out. Right, right. With with the one with the out of time, I had a 50 million dollar budget, <laughs> and I still had 15 million dollars. Right. I was gonna. <laughs> You're working uh, with a different Denzel Washington at that point. Denzel was bit. getting yeah. a big check on that one, buddy. <laughs> Let me tell you. So it was. Uh, <laughs> that was. So that was interesting, you know. People, um, I don't think people, and this is, look, I love, this is all amazing. This is the stuff I love talking about, where it's like, I don't think people really always realize that, right? And I, because out of times, it's not a small movie, obviously, right? It got a big release, you know, it's Denzel, like we're talking about. But I, I think sometimes people don't realize, yeah, it's like you're directing it and it's like, well, you're not, you don't have $50 million, right? It's like, you're not, you know, you don't have that. So it's like, well, that's a funny thing. That's well said and uh, important to say. Um, well, when you, when you talk about it being the release, I mean, you mentioned, you said it's sweaty, it's sexy and all of that. None of that was in the trailer. Was it not? No, See, I, I feel like the I, I thing, rewatched it. The thing yeah. I remember most from the trailer, and I feel like even, you know, when it came out, just the, was the hotel, the hotel is, is him hanging from the balcony i feel like which that's is a great like, which is a great sequence it though, is but it's but I, I feel like i remember it being sold as a little bit more of an action picture of a straightforward like, yeah. action thriller yeah he was, running, he was running down you know in that stairwell and how do you solve a murder yeah <laughs> every one points to you 
or whatever. You know what I? And so you're right. So me, if certainly there was probably a mismanagement there. I, I'll say this: the 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 thing I love about movies like Out of Time, and I think you do this so well. And I think it's a real gift that maybe doesn't get acknowledged enough. And obviously, one false move has this even at the at the climax, especially. But you know, out of time, there's a sequence where he's in his police precinct that's been kind of overrun with other departments, other, you know, Ava Mendez works for the Miami, whatever, blah, 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 because this murders happen. And he is complicit, right? Like unintentionally or somewhat intentionally, he's kind of the man they're looking for. And there's this sequence where it's like, they are looking for him. He's there. And he has to basically do all of these little small things <laughs> to prevent them from finding out it's, it's one of the best sequences while in the movie. He's there. It's it, so no, no, good. it is yeah. it is the best sequence yeah. without question and it's like top notch filmmaking cuz it's like you're using zoom at the zoom you know about push uh, pushing in or using a zoom lens at the right time or like a you know a close up where it's needed to be or like pushing out to show the whole space so you know where everybody is like these are not easy things right and it's like and what i love is it's just you're watching the movie literally being like, how is he going to get out of this one? Right. And I think that's so rare. And to actually have that feeling and actually believe that he won't is so important, especially in a movie like that. Right. It's so crucial. Yeah, it, 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 it was fun, actually. And, and, and that was one of the things that it, it's kind of, yeah, we executed. But, you know, Dave Collard's script put mm -hmm. him in a. I mean, literally, he was he was he was in a situation where it was constant pressure from the very beginning, you know, um, and that was that was one of the things that was really attractive, you know. Yeah. In terms of just order of operations and development, was it you know, was that script kind of floating around and it found its way to you, and then you got Denzel? Was it something the two of you kind of collaborated on together to make happen? Um. What I don't know how long that script had been around, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, MGM contacted me, uh, and Dave actually, I think, already had you know had their approval. They just wanted, they wanted me, and they and they wanted me to get Denzel. Got it. There you and, go. And so you know, uh, he read it, and you know, and the price was right, and so. <laughs> Uh, he got into it. I, I, I'm not so sure because, you know, he was doing the stuff he was doing was a lot more weighty, I think, than uh, what that script was. When yeah, he... he was. That would have been right around Manchurian Candidate, kind of another undersung at the time. Very interesting movie. Very different from obviously from out of time. And he had he done training day, you know. Right. Training day just happened. Um, so I wanted to definitely. You know, and uh, it's been awesome. We've been able to kind of go through all these movies. Uh, high Crimes, we should be, uh, we, we did skip High Crimes, um, which I, you could call a B-side, I suppose. Um, but you get a great Morgan Freeman performance in that one. I, let, let's just say that. I think you get Morgan playing, you know, alcoholic, playing fun, um, you know, reteaming with Ashley Judd, which is interesting. They had made Kiss the Girls together. Um, um and that's that's also that's based on the Joseph Finder book, actually. Um, uh, but I did want to just make sure we got to Bless Me Ultima um, because I just love that you made it. I think, you know, it's what, 2012 it comes out. It's based yeah. on the celebrated book, um, which, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't say it's a book that you would say it would be impossible to make into a movie, though. And I wonder how you feel about this. It's certainly like... When you're making, when you write a book that's about kind of faith and like, you know, coming of age and a lot of it is internal, I mean, that must have felt a little daunting. Did you love that? Did you love that book? Was it a passion project to get that made? Or I wonder where that came from. Christy Walton, who is of the Walmart family, okay. uh, she financed it. Okay. Evidently, she had read the book years before and wanted to get it done. Um, and so they came to me with it, um, and I wrote the script. And I have to say I love the magical realism in the book. Yeah, I like that, uh, you know, that, that was what drew me to it, was the kind of, uh, it, it just felt like it was almost like a poem. 
that the the whole film felt to me more like almost like folklore and i really really responded to that uh, and you know working with the children we were fortunate enough to get some really great kids uh and then of course uh, um um my god god what's this is not good um well, you have, I can help you out. We have well, you have was, Alfred <laughs> Alfred Molina's narrating. Cologne, as, um, Miriam Cologne. Oh, Miriam Cologne is Ultima. Yes, yeah. No, she was made to be a Ultima. Oh my it God, yeah. Was which was so funny though. Miriam, Miriam, um, her husband, I believe, was about twenty years younger than her, um, and I remember at the time she had gone to. She talked about. When she had gone to the set of uh, Mark Anthony was in a show for a minute. I don't remember what the show was, but he had a show for a minute. And he at the time was with uh, Jennifer Lopez. They sure. were met. And she talked about how <laughs> she and Mark Anthony became friends. But when Jennifer came to the set, she made sure that they weren't close to each other because she didn't <laughs> want him to think that she was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And That's she great. dyed her hair red, which was a trip, you know, because she uh, yeah. had this beautiful silver hair when we when we talked with her. And then, but she dyed her hair red, so we had <laughs> a wig on her. Oh my god! <laughs> but she was she was fantastic as the as the character. But she still was in the game. <laughs> that's so that's great. So great. I, I mean, the that. confidence, that's what it is, yeah. right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah. A great. I mean, you, you talk, still, I mean, look, you, she was still I, so beautiful. I man. was going to say, you talk about, I, I've watched many things with you. You talk about all the time about, you know, with acting, right? The fear is the, the main, the, the big hurdle, right? Fear is the, you know, I feel like I'm quoting Dune right now, but you know, fear is the mind killer, right? It's like, you got to get <laughs> over that. And I feel like, that's a great example of Miriam had no fear, fearless. Had no right? fear. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, in that regard, it comes through in the movie, right? Because it's oh, she's God, such yeah. a she's such a comfort on screen, right? It's a it's a it's a perfectly rendered character in that regard, right? It's the exact kind of character you want, where when they're not on screen, you don't you, you like don't necessarily feel safe, and then when they're there, you're like, okay, I think we're, we're gonna everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> She had a lot of agency. She's a very strong character. You know, she was yeah. warm, yeah. Uh, and she as a, as a human being, and you know, all of the other players, you know, had so much respect for her because of her rep her reputation, and so she's you know was highly regarded, and you know she uh, she carries she commands she she commanded a lot of respect. Yeah, no, a lot of well respect. said. Just just you know just in her presence, off camera as well mm. as on. You know. Yeah, and that you know we can we'll set up some of the movie, um, but yeah, she's a uh, curandera, which you know that's it's like a healer, and and I there a lot of the plot involves um, just other locals in the town, you know, kind of New Mexico set, thinking she's a witch, and there's a lot of kind of elder elements. It's uh, you know World War Two set and really interesting book really interesting adaptation of the book um and i think it's just so do you have though no, this is a you know as we're kind of coming to the end here and we we kind of loop back to to one false move and this is an unfair question so feel free to totally skirt this do you have one movie of your movies where you're like that was that was the one every like every single thing was working like that's that was the moment or is that is that a totally on you know are they all your children as it were you know there were two that i mean actually um i gotta say devil in a blue dress was probably my most fun experience right uh, where everything i felt came together and and where it you know where it, it you know i didn't have a lot of interference etc um one true thing i think is my most important film mm or because of the responses that we got from people mm. uh, who called their mothers as soon as they left the theater, yeah. many of them, you know. And, and there's a director I could talk about who called me up to tell me that his daughter called. Well, I can tell you, it was Ron Howard called me Aww. to tell. So you know, he, uh, uh, there's a whole thing happened with his daughter. Uh, that was really very sweet. Um, bless me, Ultima. I had such a good time with that cast. Yeah. I had such a 
of them. I had a really horrible time in post-production and with the interference. And I think I actually made a better movie than what you have seen. Mm. Oh, for Bless Me Ultima? Yeah. Interesting. But, okay. But, you know, but but there was, uh, but those, the, the actors, I mean, man, we were partying in my house, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, some of those folks, man. We we had parties when I was lived in L.A. Uh, you know, and we'd still five six a.m. Man, we're dancing. There you, you know? go. Uh, good for you. Good for you. I, I love, love that. that. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, Carl. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us about all your your work. I mean, I think we didn't even get into. Obviously, you've had this incredibly accomplished, you know, career in TV, and and I think. You know, we could talk about Mine Hunter. We could talk. I mean, there's so many different. You know, if we had another hour, we could go into all that. But I, but um, but bringing it back to one false move, just where kind of ostensibly it all started. Um, you know, and uh, you know, currently, you know, great Criterion release. And you know, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Look, it was a pleasure, man. It was a lot of fun. And there you have it, folks. Well, thanks again to Carl Franklin and everybody who put that together for us. Um, yeah, I think, like we said, you know, one of these guys, I think I, I make mention of it. I wish we even had more time because he's directed kind of very key episodes of stuff like my, uh, Mindhunter and, yep. um, you know, like literally look at his CV. It's and like, you even, I mean, you even brought up Laurel Avenue, right? yes, which, yes, which is, of course. uh, you know, I, I, I have not seen and even just you touching base on it and him kind of talking about it. I kind of was like, oh, it's that's just an interesting one because as his, you know, his career does now feel obviously more predominantly television and, and is almost, at, you know, I would say is as storied in television as it is in film in terms of what he's contributed to. 100 um, percent. Yeah. And also th that's just an like interesting that. touch touch point, I think. Yeah, and, and you know William uh, Boyle, who we mentioned at the top, he mentions Laurel Avenue at the end of his essay as well, which I appreciated because I do think it's important to just say it and like let people know it's out there, and you can, you know, you can find I think the set at your local library. There is a not great uh, when I, I I watched a a rip on YouTube because um, that was the easiest way for me to access it with the time we had. Um, it's not amazingly accessible. I'm sure you can find it, but um, but um, what 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 I think is important just to acknowledge about Laurel Avenue, and I do mention it, so without having to retread, it's it's just I think that I think for the people who watched it and know it, it is very important to them. And he even makes mention of them trying to do a sequel. And I think that comes from a real place of there is devotion to that project, and it's a very honest piece of work, and it's a very like nuanced mosaic which i think is kind of so rare and like i think nowadays those that kind of storytelling is too often bastardized by the reputation of like paul haggis's crash or whatever sure. and it's right, like right, right or like Babel, which doesn't have a great yeah. reputation anymore mm -hmm. even though it earned oscar nominations as well and like i think think that's a little unfair because that type of storytelling has been around for so long and there is so many good versions of it so it's like laurel avenue is a great example it's a family saga right over a weekend and it's like it touches on so many important things and so it's great to bring it up and i'm you glad also, that you you know you, you yeah. speak to a level of nuance that i think what i mean what i think is common across basically certainly all of his filmmaking efforts is that he is taking stuff that normally would fit into a genre or subgenre on a much broader level in anybody else's hands, right? And and he's making it yeah, certainly. at a far well, you, more nuanced and, level, right? And I think you, I mean, you touched on that. You touched on that with talking about one true thing, I think pretty eloquently, where it's like, certainly could could have been a weepy could have just been no, it's, mo it's not, movie it's like, week with it's movie like stars actively, and it's certainly not it's like, like that. actively yeah. the opposite almost right it's like an actively uh pragmatic movie to a degree in terms of its emotions yeah pragmatic's a good word and um, i think i was able to read or listen to rather uh some of the anna quinlan book in preparation and she it matches her writing style a little bit pragmatic's a good word um i i'll admit i didn't i don't I've not read Quinlan before. I I'm I I wasn't loving that style on the page. Um, though I have not finished the book and I do plan to. 
though I think it's translated very well to the screen. So I think that's well said. And I think even, look, and we didn't even get into this, most of his work, most of his feature work are adaptations, right? Bless sure. the Ultima, yeah. another thing, another one. and like Devil in a Blue Dress. Even yeah. High Crimes, you mentioned briefly, Joseph Finder book, like, you know, uh, Joseph Finder, who wrote the book Paranoia, which was adapted into the little scene. Is, oh, that, that. is, it, is it even little scene? Yeah. The, par- the, oh, the Liam Hemsworth. Yeah. Starring... Wait, is that actually the title of that property? Like, yeah, the book is called I, Paranoia. That f- admittedly, that feels like a movie title that no, like, yeah. was just, they were like, I we're, read the we got to call read, it a one word. I read thing. that book. Interesting. Joseph Finder's. Paranoia. Okay. The Robert Lukatic <laughs> comeback film. Paranoia. Harrison Ford. Co-starring Gar- past Gary guest Oldman. Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus, I believe, is Hemsworth's like dad. Grandpa or something. It's like dad, dad in Queens. Liam. I love that that movie still. Tr- and maybe God qu- bless me. I can't think of who the poor leading lady was. Like the old, Amber Heard. Amber oh, right, Heard. Right, right. Paranoia tries to posit like the the thing that like movies you know as recent and or far back depending on how you want to look at it but like movies like cocktail do which is like oh he's from queens you know like it's like yeah like, like, and, a, and across right. the river thing yeah. that you're like is that even true anymore like, but it's funny because like yeah so anyway whatever i mean it's just <laughs> funny like high crimes we didn't get into but yeah that is that is a book from uh from joseph finder who's like you know he's an airport you know, yeah. a best-selling airport novelist, yeah. right? Page Turner, and um, yeah, I'm like looking at it right. I'm just looking at it. It's so funny. Literally, High Crimes came out in '98. Paranoia came out in '04. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, one of our best episodes. Like, yeah, definitely. great to talk to a guy like that. Such an accomplished director. Certainly a bucket list for this podcast. A bucket list item, I think. And I'm glad we were able to do it. Um, yeah, and I would, I would just say, you know, if you you know, if you are somebody who is picking up the criterion of one false move, which you should do, obviously, because it's great if you're but if you're already a collector, like the criterion of devil in a blue dress is also great, beautiful to look at if that's, you know, what you're in it for. But also just it's like a great transfer of the movie. And and again, even one true thing and bless like bless me Ultima streaming. As you heard Carl mention, you know, he made a better movie than the one you can watch, which I, I don't doubt for sure, but uh, certainly an interesting watch and one worth checking out, especially, you know, if you're trying to just watch the stuff that he's made uh, and you like it. And then I would obviously recommend One True Thing just as a, you know, if you're only really familiar with Carl Franklin in pot boiler film noir mode kind of thing, uh, right? It's it's worth a look, so... Uh, so yeah, no, this was, this was great. I'm super happy we got to do it. Um, Dan, any other final thoughts on no, I Carl think Franklin? This, no, this is going to be our last episode for a little while. Yeah. Um, we're going to be taking our usual sort of late summer hiatus. So, um, yeah, we, this will be it for a little bit. We will be back in September, and uh, in the interim, we are still doing, we're about, I mean, as of this recording, uh, we're about halfway or so through um, our our Cinephile Season 3, Cinephile Game Night Season 3, dubbed Cinephile Summer. So those come out bi-weekly, um, and you can check those episodes out uh, either on YouTube, you can go to thefilmstage.com to check out when we post them, or you can check out the Film Stage show feed where they will show up in podcast form. It's a video and audio podcast if you're into that kind of thing. So you can check that out. That's been a lot of fun, obviously, just to hang out and, and play some cinephile game with uh, good friends of ours like We Hate Movies and the folks over at One Heat Minute and Chris Tapley over at... Uh, who does the uh, 50 miles per hour podcast on speed. If you haven't listened to that, that's very good. Um, not to mention our friends at letterbox like Mitchell Beaupre. So a lot of fun faces you'll see. Um, that'll still be ongoing throughout the month of August and a little bit of September. Also during our hiatus, we will be doing our normal audience choice polls where you will get to sound off on some of the stuff we do next so keep an eye out for that on social media if you like what you've heard here please do rate review and subscribe you can give us a follow at tfs b side on twitter facebook 
letterboxed uh, in the process of maybe setting up a blue sky account too. We'll see. We'll see if we pop over there. Um, Dan, anything you want to plug anything? Oh, nothing crazy. Just, you know, I have, um, a review up on the film stage of the film dreaming wild, the bill Pollard movie starring Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins. And I just actually wrote a little piece for paste turn which is son of a bitch <laughs> which is um um if it's not out now as you're listening it'll be out in days and it's basically my night and day theory which is basically you might not know it but night and day is the movie where tom cruise got his groove back and you'll have to read to know why Ap- um, apropos which, reading because at night and day as listeners might know one of our very first uh B-sides that we covered so indeed and i'm sure that's where the theory patrick you know you know you know are came from you know yeah. uh, birthed from as it were many years ago precipitated um, if you will precipitated is probably what i was looking for yeah. so anyway and then as always we're hoping to record another one this month uh at fathom stories which is my kind of story podcast which you know with twilight zoney you know five to seven minute stories that are usually fun so we're trying to get another one done in august before before the fall time so look out for that and uh connor passing over to you to uh to uh, take us out yeah as i said at tfsb side on social media and uh you can follow me at scruffy looking on twitter I, i'm gonna basically say twitter until someone takes the word out of my mouth i guess uh as opposed to the other thing um and uh, I am also currently over on Blue Sky as well, where I just, you know, I hawk my wares. I post about Cinephile Game Night and uh, and this podcast. So you can check me out over on Blue Sky as well. Thank you for listening. We we appreciate uh, we appreciate, like we said, Carl Franklin taking the time. And as we take a break into the remainder of our summer, we are planning to enjoy ourselves and we hope you enjoy yourselves as well. And just be careful, because as a man once told me, you step out your door in the morning and you are already in trouble. The only question is, are you on top of that trouble or not? And now you're listening to the B-side.